I'm not sure that in my lifetime we have ever needed the message and the hope of Easter more than we've needed it over the past 12 months. I mean, maybe individually and as families, we've had harder years in the past, but as a people, as a global society, I'm not certain we've ever needed to cling to the idea that God in God's hope is clinging to us more than we have over the last year. From a global pandemic to the economic downturn that followed to a very contentious presidential election, to long overdue and important conversations and actions around race and racism, especially following the killing of George Floyd, to what took place in our nation's capital in January as a mob took over, to what we experienced here in Texas with debilitating winter weather in February. This has been a hard and a challenging and important year. And I'm not certain we've needed the message of Easter more, the hope of Easter more. Because it's a year where, where motivational quotes aren't enough. It's a year where abstract feelings of love from the universe just don't cut it anymore. We need something real. We need something tangible. We need something dependable to place our hope in. We need Easter. Now, for some people, they're like, well, listen, if we're looking for something tangible, if we're looking for something real, if we're looking for something dependable, Easter's the best we can do? I mean, on the surface of it, it is a, a kind of absurd message. The idea that our entire faith, because Christianity is a nonsensical religion if the crucifixion and resurrection didn't happen. That the centerpiece of our faith is that a couple of thousand years ago in a small kind of out of the way outpost of the Roman Empire, a carpenter lived and was killed for his teaching and his ministry. But three days later, he rose again from the grave and is the Messiah of the world showing that hope and love and life triumph over hatred and hopelessness and death. But that is what we proclaim. That is what this day is about. And that is what we say is real. The defining part and moment in human history. The Apostles' Creed, the most ancient creed of the church, has been guiding us in our foundations teaching series, and it wants us to investigate whether this claim is true or not. Because we can sit here and go, well, we enlightened people know that this doesn't happen. That might have been believed 2,000 years ago. But I'd submit to you that the people 2,000 years ago were much more familiar with death on a daily basis than you and I often are, especially death at the hands of the Romans. They knew people didn't come back. The Romans killed plenty of people. They were good at it. They didn't come back. They knew that. But the Apostles' Creed, like the Gospels, it was written in a way to say, we don't expect you to believe this in the first hearing we want you to investigate it and see. To explore this, as we've done throughout this series, let's declare what it is we believe together by saying together now the words of the Apostles' Creed as they appear on your screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, as we said in the first week of this series, it's important to know that the Apostles' Creed in our book of confessions, in the creeds and confessions of the Presbyterian Church, that the Apostles' Creed stands out as being totally different because it's the only one that's truly grassroots, meaning that it wasn't written by clergy or or professional vocational um, people in ministry. It wasn't written when anyone sat down and said, we need to write a confession. We need to write a creed. Let's do it. Let's have a committee. It was a grassroots thing because it was how the first embers of the church, right after the events of the crucifixion and resurrection, it's how they started articulating verbally what does it mean to be a Christian. As new people were coming to faith, many of whom were illiterate, the, the, the early church leaders had to say, what, how do we teach and define what this new faith is all about? And so the way that they, the, the Apostles' Creed came about is it was uh, spoken over new believers in their baptisms. The, the ancient church would actually baptize on Easter morning. And as the new converts came to Christianity, they had to affirm what they believed. They would say, do you believe, for instance, in something like God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in this kind of statement, maker of heaven and earth? And they would say, I believe. Do you believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, but the third day he rose again from the dead and they would say, I believe. It was how the church formed what it meant to be the community of faith. We have to appreciate the fact that that a third of the creed almost is dedicated to these three days. It's that central to who we are and what we're about. And what they would do is they would say to people uh, that, you know, as this central act is taking place, uh, we want you to consider whether it's true or not. And we want you to have, be able to have the tools to investigate it. Again, this is in the months, maybe the years, right after the crucifixion and resurrection. They didn't just say that, that somebody was the son of God. They said, here's his name. Here's who his mother was. They didn't just say that he died one day. They said that he was uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate. This puts it at a particular moment in history, in a particular place. They didn't just say he was killed. They said he was crucified, meaning that it was a public execution because the Romans had to be involved in that, meaning there would be records of it, meaning that it didn't happen quietly where people could not know about it. It was something folks would have known of. And in the months and the years, the the church was giving birth to this very specific claim that he was crucified, dead, buried. He descended into hell, meaning he was removed from the presence of God the Father. This was done at a time and in a place, maybe in Jerusalem, maybe even during the reign of Pontius Pilate, where the first Christians who would have heard this news would have said, I can go find out if that's true. If no one's ever heard of this public execution, it wasn't real. The Gospels were written in the same way. What Jill read this morning from the the book of Matthew, it says that that, uh, women went to the tomb and and heard the proclamation that Jesus was risen. It wasn't just any women. They said it was Mary Magdalene. Uh, You can go talk to her. Uh, It was the other Mary who was there. In the previous chapter, after Jesus dies on the cross, they say his body in the Gospel of Matthew was taken off of the cross and he was buried in the tomb. But not just any tomb, a tomb from a person from the town of Arimathea, whose name was Joseph. Now, Arimathea was a very small town. You could have gone, especially when these, these words were being recorded and written down, to the town of Arimathea and asked, 
Does anyone know Joseph? And not just any Joseph, but a Joseph from Arimathea who's wealthy enough to have a tomb in Jerusalem, which very few people could have afforded. And if no one knew who that was, the whole thing's not real. The, the creed and the gospels are written in a way of saying, go use your mind, go check it out, go see. No other claim has survived like this at any point in human history. And yet in those early months and in those early days and those early years where this was being taught as the bedrock of truth as what took place, it wasn't disproven. The same authorities who killed Jesus could have snuffed this out easily with facts. And yet the gospel spread. The tomb was empty. Death had been defeated. And people from those early days proclaimed it was real. And the fact that it's real, the fact that, that life overcomes death, the fact that love is more powerful than hate, the fact that this historical event shows and demonstrates all of that, and then you and I are a part of that, especially if we've gone through this last year, we need that hope in our lives. We need to cling to the idea that God is clinging to us and nothing can separate us from his love. Probably like many of you, as you've gone through this hard year, there have been times where that kind of hope has been hard to remember and hold on to with the swirl of all that's taking place and the social isolation and the distancing as we're apart from each other. Maybe like you, they've had, you you've needed ways of, of holding on to this hope, of holding on to this good news, of holding on to this truth. I know I have at different times. And one of the stories and illustrations, one of the, the ways that I've held on to the hope of Easter and to the promise of Easter has been through this individual, John Klein. Now this face may not be familiar to you and his name may not be familiar to you, but you've heard his story before. This next image might be one that triggers a memory for you. We use this image in a sermon near the beginning of the pandemic. This is a photo of John outside his wife Anne's room in a nursing care facility. John and Anne have been married for over 45 years, but Anne suffers with Alzheimer's. And before COVID, she was placed into a facility that could help with her needs. And John would visit her every day, but as the facility locked down when COVID took place, John would go and stand outside Anne's window and sing to her. He would sing the hymns of the church, and, and in his singing, it would be a way that at times the fog of Alzheimer's would lift and Anne, through music, could engage with him. We use this as an illustration to say how you and I could continue to love and to serve this world, even with the constraints of COVID-19. There's something about this story that just struck me. It stuck with me. And as I've gone through the difficulty uh, in my own journey this year, just as we've all walked through this, I keep going back to this couple. And Easter hope, resurrection hope, the hope of our faith keeps being breathed into me. For example, after that sermon, I read where John was asked the question if at times he would go and Anne, even through music, wouldn't recognize him or be able to engage with him. He said, yes, that often happens, sometimes days in a row. And he was asked by somebody, does that mean sometimes it's too discouraging to go back day after day? And he said, no, because loving her isn't about whether she remembers me. I remember her. And so I go whether she remembered me the day before or not. It's powerful to sit in the, what love really looks like. 
have that wash over me in the midst of the pandemic. He was asked another time um, of whether he was concerned that, that uh, one of their lives might end by COVID or maybe by the effects of Alzheimer's before they were able to be reunited in person. And he said, oh, I, I, I pray that that is not the case. It makes me weep at the thought that that could happen. He said, but I wanted to be clear, we are people of faith. I'm not concerned by the idea of death. Death in our faith is only the beginning of a new and greater life. And so for neither of us does death concern us. It was a promise of the hope of the resurrection washing over me as we moved through the events of this past year. And so I was delighted at the news a couple of weeks ago that John and Ann were declared fully vaccinated. And he was welcomed into the care facility to see his wife for the first time in over a year. Now he had to plan this out because he didn't know if she would recognize him. And now because he was inside the facility on top of her Alzheimer's, he had to wear a mask which can make it even harder to be recognized. And so he planned it out very carefully. And instead of going to the window one afternoon, he walked actually to the doorway of her room in his mask and began again singing the hymns of our faith. Amazing grace, how great thou art. Jesus loves me, this I know. And as he sang, he saw eventually her mouth begin to move and she sang along with him. And he continued to sing. And he walked into the room where she was sitting in a chair. And as he kept singing and she kept singing, he bent down and for the first time in over a year was able to hug his wife, only to hear her whisper, my John, I love you. We have faced difficult days in the past year and we will face more in the days to come. But today is Easter. Today is the day that we are reminded that we proclaim in one clear, unambiguous voice that hope wins, that life wins, that love wins, that justice wins, that grace wins, that truth wins because we believe And the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, he rose again to show that love and life are stronger than hatred and death. And it changes everything. Hallelujah and amen.